Father, take my words and speak with them. Take our minds and think with them. And take our hearts and set them on fire with love for Thee, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's begin with a proverb, not from the book of Proverbs, but rather from the world of computers. This comes early in the life of personal computers, when a problem arose between what you got on the screen and what you printed off hard copy on the page. I remember when I got my first computer, I typed out my uh, resume and, oh, it looks so good. And I thought, wow, this thing used to cost me $70, $80 a hit every time I did a resume. And now I got on my computer and the money I'm saving. And I printed it off just beaming with pleasure. And I got the worst trash on the paper. I called uh, my friend who talked me into buying the computer. And he rushed over and he said, okay, there's a problem, Brad. What you see on the screen is usually not what you're going to get on the hard page. And then he taught me what I needed to do. But I discovered that there was an expression that caught that notion, and it was WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get. Or in this case, what you see is not what you get. That's true of computers. That's true about people as well. There's another proverb this from my farm dad who grew up on a farm in, up near Lee's Summit here in Missouri. And it was simply, when all is said and done, it's still a pig in a poke. A poke, you know, is a sack. And you go to the fair to buy a pig. And you say, oh, this is a nice heavy pig. Oh, this is really good. And you get home, you open up, and the pig's blind. Or it has only three legs. Or something's wrong with it. It's a pig in a poke. What you see is not always what you get. Our lesson today from the Old Testament is 1 Samuel chapter 16. The time is shortly before the year 1000 B.C. The place is Bethlehem. Please do not be impressed when I say Bethlehem. Y'all go charming and think these lovely Christmas carps. Do not think charming. Think armpit Alabama. This is, this is just a totally tiny town of no importance at all. The king is Saul, but he's losing it. He's losing the respect of his family. He's losing the confidence of the nations. He's losing battles against the Philistines, the Moabites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and all the other nastyites. He's losing the trust of Samuel the prophet, and he's losing reliability before God. God then commissioned Samuel to go and anoint a new king, one of the sons of Jesse in Bethlehem. Now, this is a risky thing to do. This spies and informers of the king are abroad. This is cloak and dagger stuff. And so he goes there to make a sacrifice. And very suspiciously, Jesse says, Do you come peaceably? <laughs> makes you nervous when the prophet comes to visit town, like maybe the bishop visits, and you say, is, is, is this a good bishop, bishop visit, bishop? And he goes, good visit. And then we all relax. Well, it's not so relaxing for Jesse. He has eight sons, and the prophet says, I will not sit down to the meal until I see your sons. 
And so he parades them through one by one. Eliab. That's a neat name. It means God is the Father. But that's not the one God had chosen. Next comes Abinadab. And he looks and he says, boy, he'd be a good king. Strong, husky, muscular, great leader in battle. But he is not the one. And then there's Shema. He looks to be the intellectual, the scholar, the wise man who could lead court. But he's not the one. And seven sons all pass before him. And to each son, God says, that is not the one. And he says, for and this is my text for the morning, look not on his appearance or his height of his stature, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh upon the heart. Now Samuel was a good judge of people. I mean, after all, he was a judge. He had both godly sense and common sense, refined in the fire of experience, but only God fully sees a person. Only God sees the heart. I've had the experience, it can happen both ways, of thinking well of a person, and I was wrong, or thinking ill of a person, and I was wrong. And you've probably had those experiences too. Uh, I remember uh, the interim rector of a church where I was in Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, He had gone to school in England, got his doctor, he had this gorgeous English accent. He had a beautiful wife. He had three or four kids. I can't remember. And he had the worst beat-up old station wagon. Do you remember station wagons? Kind of the SUVs of their day. And he packed his wife and his kids in there, and they were going on a two-week vacation. And they're going down the road and flat tire. Well, he looks up and God provides. He sees just off the interstate uh, a a gas station. So he pulls off. Now, in those days, they didn't have these big, wide uh, uh, clover leaves that go around. The earliest ones, you just went slightly off the side and there's the gas station right there. He pulled into the parking lot there and in the parking lot, there were weeds two feet high. Uh, There had not been an active gas station there for some while. But okay, I can still fix my flat tire. So he got the family out and he got the luggage out and he had it all played out. And then he got out, opened up the trunk part of it and got out the jack and, and uh, the thing to lift up the car. And he realized he didn't know how to do this. And then he thought, well, this can't be worse. It can't get worse. And right at that moment, it started to rain. And he said, oh gosh, the kids went and they got underneath, but he said, I've got to change this tire. And he said, this, this, this just can't get worse. And right when he said that, he looked up, and up there on the bridge came hell's angels at 20 miles an hour looking down. And they went down, and they went around, and they came around, and they went under, and they went under the bridge, and they pulled in like a made-for-TV movie, and they drew a circle around him and his family and their park, maybe 18 of them, and they got out, and they say, you got a problem, Father? He wore his clerics even on vacation. So they knew he was a priest. And they go, you got a problem, Father? And he says, yeah. He said, stand aside. Get your kids in. Make your wife and kids stand right over there. And they went over there. They were terrified. And they got out. And they were scary-looking people. I mean, they were big and strong and muscular. And they had, you know, cut-off 
leather jackets, you know, and these big muscles and tattoos that said, live free or die. And they had these mustaches. And that was just the women. The men were scary too. And so they, the guy gets down there and he goes, all right, on your mark, get set, go. And they drop down and they pop that thing up on the jack and they pop the uh, hubcap up and they had two arms come in there taking off the bolts and everything. And you get them into there and they pull off the roll and they roll it over and they pull another wheel and they put it in. They got two arms go and then they got four arms coming in, putting all the screws in place and they get it and then they tighten them all up and they pop the hubcap in and they drop it down on the ground and they jump back and they go, click. Two minutes and 40 seconds, not bad. And then he turned to Father Russell and they said, we're a, uh, we're a NASCAR team and we're on vacation and we just do this, through, so thanks for the practice. We love doing this stuff. And he said, now you want to be careful, Father, out here because it's dangerous on the road. There's scary people out on the road. But before you go, uh, we're a Christian motorcycle gang. We're called the Alpha Omegas. Would you pray for us? So they all stood in a circle, and each of these little kids holding on to these hell's angel types and looking at them, and they had a wonderful prayer. They said the Lord's Prayer, and they all knew it by heart. And it just proves you don't know what you get. You think you're getting one thing, and it's something else. What you see is not what you get. We see through a glass darkly. And so the first thing this teaching from uh, 1 Samuel teaches us is that we have to be tentative in all of our judgments. You might be right, but you might not be right. So don't be too quick to make judgments. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 says, We see through a glass darkly. That's true about God, yes, but it's also true as we look at one another. We don't know. And the second truth here I would press is this. Know that you don't know. Be humble and say, you know, I, I, I don't know. You know, one of my heroes is Socrates, the uh, greatest philosopher who ever lived. In his Plato's book, The Apology, Socrates is explaining how he became a philosopher. And the story is when his best friend, Chirophon, went to the Oracle Delphi, and while he was there, he asked the Oracle, who is the wisest man in the world? And the Oracle says, the wisest man in the world is your friend Socrates. Well, Chirophon was excited about that. He rushed back to Athens and told this to Socrates. But he wasn't pleased by that. He was confused. He said, well, that can't be true because... I I know I'm not wise. In fact, what he did all the time was going around asking questions. What is this? And he keep asking questions. And people say, oh, I know what justice is. And then he asked him questions. It turned out they did know what wisdom was. But he kept asking the questions. And he said, I know I'm not a wise man. And then he finally figured out the truth because he knew that the oracle could not lie. And the truth was, he was the wisest man in the world because he knew he was not the wisest man in the world. You know, why do we pose and think we're so intelligent or smart? And we're not smart. We're just children. And sometimes we don't know whether to turn to the left or the right. Own it. Know that you don't know. And lastly, thirdly, I would say, 
Let's say of you, WYSIWYG. Say of you, what you see is what you get. Jesus said of Nathaniel, this is from John chapter 1, He points him out and He says, Behold an Israelite in whom there is no guile. It's a beautiful word, guile, isn't it? It means craftiness, cunningness, artifice, wiliness, slyness, deviousness, underhandedness, double dealing. And here is an Israelite in whom there is no guile. I discovered this about myself that even though I was a priest and even though I believed in the commandment thou shalt not bear false witness, you know, I would sometimes just let a misunderstanding slide in. I wasn't lying. They just they they misunderstood. Not their fault, not mine. But people would say, Where'd you go to school, Brad? You went to school in England? I said, Yeah. I went to Trinity College. People go, Ooh, whoa, that's impressive. I never told him it wasn't Trinity College. Oxford or Trinity College, Cambridge. It was a little tiny Bible college, Trinity College in Bristol with 112 students. Not so impressive at all, but I just let it dangle out there. And if they wanted to misunderstand, and then I thought, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? I know exactly why I was doing this. You know why you do things like that. You pretend to be other than you are because you want to impress other people. But we don't need to impress. We just need to be ourselves. Please, let's just be ourselves. Mark Twain said that the mark of a good politician or statesman was to appear to all of his constituents as sincere. And then he continued, once you have can bamboozle them about your sincerity, you can bamboozle them about anything. But let's just, don't bamboozle anybody about anything. Let's just be ourselves. I love the word sincere. I left my notes in, the, uh, in my office. But the word sincere is a composite of two Latin words. Sine, which means without, and sire, which means wax. We get the word ceremony. Ceremony is what we do with wax. Sine, sire means literally without wax. And that comes from the ancient world when people would make jars and they would spend half a day making a jar. And they work and work and work and they pour the water and they got it on the thing and they're turning and they're doing all this work with their thumbs and it's hard work. And what they're doing is they're trying to get the bubbles out of the clay because then when they put it into the kiln and they heat it and they bake it and harden it, if there's too big of a bubble, it expands and it cracks the jar. And all that was wasted time. And so people come along and say, well, maybe it's not wasted. They'll take some wax and they lay some wax on it and they put it down and then they'd shave it off and then they paint it and they put it out on display and people would buy it. But then, buying it, things would happen. The, the, uh, uh, it would crack and the oil or the wine or the water would all come out. And so they would advertise this is a jar without wax. It is sine sire. What you see is what you get. And of course, sine sire, if you take the E off and conjoin those words, we get the word sincere. When you write a letter to someone and say sincerely yours, you are saying without wax. 
What I'm writing is what is true. I am what you see is what you get. And we should always do that. And why, why can't we do that? Because we don't trust that other people will respect us or like us. But what difference does it make? Let's just be who we are. I joke a lot that, you know, I have some friends that talk about who their patron saints are. Uh, my patron saint is Popeye. And those of you that remember Popeye, remember that he said, I am what I am. And what a godly thing that is to be. I am what I am. I think most of all of the colic we pray every Sunday, the colic, the purity, we come before God and we say, Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid. That's a beautiful prayer. It was a prayer that was written in Salisbury Cathedral for the priests and the acolytes and the bishops before the service. Thomas Cramner found that prayer and liked it so much, he said, I want all the people to pray it. He translated it into English, and we pray it the first prayer we pray in church every Holy Eucharist. And what is it a prayer for? It's a prayer of saying, I can bamboozle other people. I can perpend pretend to other people to be other than I am. But I can't do that with you, O oh God, because you know the heart and you know who I am and you see through all my pretense and through all my guile. And I want to ask you this question. Is that good news or is that bad news? We call this the doctrine of omniscience. God knows everything. And is that good news or is that bad news? I'll never forget in my second confirmation class, I was teaching them the attributes of God. We came to omniscience, and I made this point that God knows everything. He knows even our thoughts, not just the hairs on our heads, not only the days of our years, but He knows our thoughts. He knows what we're thinking before we're even thinking. This one girl, Sharon Quinn, I just love Sharon. Boy, she was an Israelite in whom there was no guile. What you saw on her face is what Sharon was thinking. And she raised her hand. She goes, Father Brad, does God know everything about what I'm thinking? And I said, yes, Sharon, He knows everything. And she said, oh my God. <laughs> is that good news or bad news? I want to suggest to us that is the best news. Because if God knows me as I truly am, He can heal me. He can heal me of my pettiness and my shallowness and my resentments and my fondled hatreds and resentments. He knows me and He loves me. What you see is what you get, O oh God. Here I am. Come and love me. In Ephesians... Paul, the Apostle, invites us, quote, to live in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself for us, a fragrant offering to God. And he says, as he develops that thought, it's a fragrant of life to life and a, and a pleasing aroma to God, or it's a fragrant of death unto death, a smelly fragrant to God. And when we come forward to God, I say in the spirit of WYSIWYG, and we offer ourselves as an aroma to God, God will smell the aroma that we are, and He will be, it will be pleasing 
in His sight. May we, as we do this, offer ourselves, not as a kind of a Giorgio or English leather, but as the most pleasing aroma, the WYSIWYG aroma to God, who then can heal us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen.